Yes, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYXNZ. I'm Bob Lawton. And I'm Jim Hyde. And Point and Click Radio is made possible through the generosity of our members and our underwriters. And on that subject, um, we are in the midst of our fall fundraiser session, and we're not going to be doing pledge um, uh, please during this show. But we will remind our listeners that um, this is a show. This is a station that helps keep Mendocino County connected. And if you want to be part of that and help support that mission, um, we encourage you to become a member of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. And you do do that since you're listening to Computer Show. The easiest way to do that. Is to go to the web that is kzyx.org and you'll see a big red donate button there that allows you to join and become a member of kzyx and if you're a point and click fan and you used to call in and pledge when we did our live pledge drive shows back in the old days remember those jim oh very much so <laughs> yeah I remember the one uh, when everybody was really nervous about Y2K. I mean, I'm sure some, yes. of, some of our listeners weren't even around when Y2K came in. But Indeed, no kidding. We, uh, we had a very successful show because we raised over $2,000 for... In honor of Y2K. Y2K. <laughs> 2K, a big 2K for Y2K, yeah. But uh, we haven't been doing that lately. A lot of it is because of the pandemic and social isolation. A lot of that is because uh, there are more satellite studios now and it gives us a lot more options for how we deliver the content for the show for example tonight i bob lawton am at the uh ukiah satellite studio uh and jim is actually zooming in i'm at home on the coast at home on the coast yes (laughs) as i have been for the last couple of years since all this began yeah And, and yeah and those are the satellite studios um they obviously they require upkeep and maintenance and electricity and um, and for that and all of the other reasons that um, that it re- takes to keep this station on the air from electricity and um, and and equipment to the shows the national and international shows that we bring you um, there's an operating there are operating costs in, uh, involved in keeping Mendocino County connected and so um, you we encourage you to. Become part of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting and become a member, and you can do that uh, at kzyx.org. And that is the conclusion of our... (laughs) Well, we'll probably uh, do it halfway through the show, too. Maybe we'll do another gentle reminder. Yeah, for people who tune in late, you know. But we do have a usual great grab bag of, uh, of news and tips tonight, and um, we're going to open up the phones later on and take calls and questions. Um, Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk, she is on assignment tonight. But we do have a tip of the week, and that deals, it's a timely tip of the week, you might say. It is and, timely. Uh, I, think, I think you've got that one for us, don't you, Bob? Yeah, um, and in fact, this has to do with uh, coordinating the... Uh, the switchover from the uh, pre-recorded programs in Philo to here, and uh, those of you who are regular listeners will usually hear some kind of a little glitch <laughs> right around 7.59 and a half or, eight, uh, eight, uh, or 6.59 and, and 55 seconds or something like that. But uh, one of the um, station engineers uh, recommended a site called Dot is is t-i-m-e dot i-s a website that's time i 
uh, time dot is. And um, what it does is it, it puts a big digital clock up on your computer or um, smartphone screen, and uh, it'll show you what, based on, on how you're connecting to the Internet, what the closest main city is. So when I go to it, I get Ukiah, California. What do you get when you go to Time Is, Jim? What's your... Uh, um, I get Point Arena, which is what the further reach, like their main, yeah. you know, um, uh, data center, I guess you'd call it, is located. Right. It's where you hit the internet backbone, wherever that yeah. happens, uh, that that's showing. that that Your browser reveals that uh, information to the... Um, uh, to the site you're going to. Yeah. Uh, so um, the thing about this is that the KZYX runs off this time signal. So anybody, uh, and if there's any any programmers out there, you should make sure you have a bookmark for time.is. And the nice thing is that it will also give you um, the local time in any area in the world and all the 24, or I think there's 24 time zones, but I think there's also some little pockets of, of um, what would you call them, um, non-conforming uh, standards to, to global time. Of course, global time originates in Greenwich, England, where the Greenwich Observatory is. And the reason for this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years to when the uh, sailors uh, broke up the um, globe into uh, areas of longitude. And zero longitude is in Greenwich, England. In fact, if you go there now, apparently they have a big green laser that shines north and south. And you can actually oh, see, that's cool. see like a, a green. I was there in uh, 2007, but that was before the laser. I had to, I got, I had to stand in the actual prime. You had to stand in the, in the prime. Ground. Ground. And watch the time ball fall. Yeah, that was a that was that was a great experience. That's funny. I want to go back and see the green laser because that would just be so <laughs> cosmic to see a, a big wall of green going up into the heavens right where the, <laughs> this arbitrary zero is. But anyway, the time time uh, uh, zones are based on on Greenwich. That's just something that's uh, it's it's totally fictitious, but that's what the whole world runs on. And this site time dot is will let you. Um, figure out uh, if your computer clock is accurate because it will give you a comparison. The, the website will look at what your computer time is and what the actual time is according to whatever the accurate time server is they're using. And it'll tell you uh, how close it is. And at home, mine was like 0 0.072 seconds yeah it, it's you know. a tiny little fraction of a second off right but, but when i got here in the studio it was like a minute and 55 seconds off so i don't know what changed <laughs> now you know the time difference between home and and, and the, that's the what it is it's 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 <laughs> it's uh it's quantum physics it's einstein it's einstein's theory of relativity it, exactly yeah uh, it's a cool website time dot i is time dot is tom dot tool wow time dot is yeah. is the uh, is the website as in what time is it and uh and it will not only it's not only really handy for um doing kind of the world clock calculations you know what time is it in in mumbai right now um but also a handy way to find out whether your computer or your phone it works on your phone or your tablet as well um is, is accurate and, and how off it might be and chances are it's going to be off a very 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 tiny amount because all 
current computers and mobile devices, tablets and smartphones and whatnot, um, they are synchronized to um, these internet time servers that, um, that, uh, that, um, that automatically set their clocks. And uh, that usually is the default of how, those, how all of our modern devices are set up to work. To work. They also have a really handy, if you've ever sat there scratching your head with, uh, with a pencil in hand trying to figure out what time it is that you're supposed to call someplace that, that gives you the UTC, uh, universal time coordinate, or, or some other, you know, uh, obscure time reference, they've got a, um, a really handy chart that shows the time difference from where the website senses your presence is, uh, your location is and all the nearest it, go, it goes in geographical order starting like right here i see uh the time dis di difference to los angeles is zero and then to chicago it's plus two hours and then to london it's plus eight hours and then yeah. to oh you were talking about this before jim in mumbai it's 12.5 hours <laughs> yeah yeah india's standard time is 30 minutes uh has a 30 minute um bump in there it isn't the top of the hour when it's seven o'clock here it's seven thirty there um or something like that it's uh it's it's an interesting outlier yeah so it's from here it would be plus 12.5 hours whatever that is but who knows why they why they did that i don't know yeah. maybe it's to avoid you know maybe it's to save distance save money on long distance calls or something you know avoid the rush <laughs> just, just make the most sense for where the sun goes up and goes down in that part of the world i know so time.is, we encourage you to check it out. It's fun to play with. And if yeah. you have people in other part of the world who you need to communicate with now and then, um, it's a really handy uh, website because you can be sure that um, you can determine what time it is in various places without uh, without risking waking somebody up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And um, also the, the uh, time digits on the website are actually really quite huge. You could, If you were in a meeting or something and wanted everybody to see what the time was and there was no really handy clock, you could just open your laptop up or put your, your yeah. smartphone somewhere where people could see it and it shows the current time in very, very, very large numerals. Yeah. So it's pretty handy. Indeed. So moving on from there, here on Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show with yours truly, Jim, and Bob over in Ukiah, um, we turn to Adobe and um, the latest in imaging and graphic design news. Um, every year, Adobe uh, hosts a huge conference called Adobe Max. That's M-A-X, not M-A-C-S, Apple folks. It's M-A-X, Adobe Max. And... For a couple of years in the pandemic era, the event was strictly um, virtual. Prior to that, it would be held in a big city. Um, I went to one in San Diego back, I don't know, five, six years ago. Um, and they would typically get 10 to 15,000 attendees at this event with um, big, you know, for opening speeches and lots and lots of educational sessions for with, uh, you know, experts from all over the world talking about things like Photoshop and photography and video production. Um, and this year, um, Adobe has pursued a hybrid model. Um, they're, they're doing a live event again. Uh, this time it's in Los Angeles with about 6,000 attendees, but it's also virtual. And what's cool is that the virtual version is completely free. 
the um, it, it costs a good couple of thousand dollars to attend in person, but you can attend from the comfort of your own home um, for exactly nothing. And it's probably not too late to sign up if you just go to the search engine of your choice and 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 do a word, uh, search for Adobe Max. Um, you can uh, you can probably still sign up. The the conference began yesterday and it ends tomorrow, um, but a lot of the sessions are available for on-demand viewing. Um, and indeed, Adobe has also put a lot of things up on their YouTube channel. So if you do, if you go to YouTube and just search for Adobe. Um, their real channel is called Adobe Creative Cloud, but you don't have to type all three words. You can just search for Adobe on YouTube, and their uh, their channel comes up on the on the very top. They've posted a lot of the uh, the you know the, the highlights, the keynote speeches, and some of the bigger um, educational sessions, and. There are a lot of new and uh, a lot of new goodies um, for, uh, and probably the underlying theme is that, as we've talked about on the show recently, um, artificial intelligence is everywhere. There are new AI-driven features in Adobe's core photography programs, Photoshop and Lightroom, that make it easier and uh, than ever to enhance images. Um, if you if you've worked in Photoshop at all, you know that a big part of working in Photoshop is doing a selection. Um, you know, maybe you want to remove a distracting thing that's in the background, or maybe you want to change the color of a car that uh, happens to be in the photo, or or someone's outfit. If you're you know working in in fashion photography, doing those kinds of selections in earlier versions of Photoshop was really painstaking and it was often very inaccurate and the results would look kind of artificial if you weren't good at it. Um, the new versions of Photoshop and Lightroom have a lot of AI smarts built into them that make it really easy to select certain things. You can say there's a select subject um, tool where the software will just identify what the subject of a photo is and it will select it for you, kind of like pretty much flawlessly and so it, it, it does it does image identification through ai something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember it, it knows and 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 you can even drill in further if you just wanted the demo that they showed was well let's change the color of the lipstick on this model uh-huh it recognizes lips <laughs> or you know let's just change his the color of, of of this other model let's change the color of his hair and it recognizes the hair now let's click over on the shirt. Well, now it'll just recognize and select the shirt, so we can change the color wow, of the shirt. Wow, that's just um, amazing. Really I mean, kind of, hair hair was always the hairiest problem in Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. Separating oh, wisps. Separating wisps of hair from a background. If you had to do that manually, it was like, you know, yeah. that's that's an yeah. expensive expensive proposition if you're on the clock for somebody. But this yeah. is this is fantastic because they they've been they've been doing a lot of that in in their regular programming. I know that the the example of separating hair from a background they've gotten a lot of th there's been progress in that in the mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years that uh, Photoshop's been around. But adding AI to the mix sounds really promising for those kinds of things. I like that. Yeah, uh, that and, and the and the, the the interesting thing is too that it can get progressively better. 
um, because with machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms get better and better the more often they do something. The more images that they're exposed to, the more the, the larger the data set grows, um, the more they understand what wispy hair looks like yes. or what a shirt looks like um, or what, a, what lips or eyes look like. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's just an ex another example of how um, AI is infiltrating and becoming a part of so many aspects of technology and of our lives. Um, and that's not entirely good and it's not entirely bad. What it is is entirely here. <laughs> yes. As we said before, the genie is out of the bottle. Um, yeah. And it's not going back in. And what is going to be necessary from a more kind of societal standpoint is um, making sure that we put pressure on policymakers and on companies to make sure they're doing the right thing um, and not introducing bias in AI and not making, you know, should you get an insurance policy based on AI, you know, kinds of uh, decisions. Um, and that's going to be something we're going to hear more and more of in the, you know, in the years to come, I think. But getting back to Photoshop and, 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 and Lightroom, the fact that you know, they're building AI into tools like this more and more is, uh, is just another kind of sign of the times as far as AI goes. And it's early days because all this oh. stuff is still up in the air, even though uh, computers have been on people's home desks and tables for, what, 30 or 40 years now. Yeah there's still a long way to go because it seems like uh, every time some new processor, new method or new technology comes along that enables one set of good things, there's a whole bunch of unintended consequences or really rotten things that are equally you know, enabled and so it's, it's, it's whack-a-mole really. It really. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I, but I think, well, I think one of the most interesting, and maybe for our listening audience too, might be one of the most interesting things that um, Adobe announced this, uh, this week. Adobe has a suite of tools called Adobe Express, and they provide kind of very basic Photoshop-ish type features, very basic video editing features, the ability to string a couple of video clips together, for example, um, the ability to make different kinds of signs and posters and, and printed pieces. Um, and it's a very inexpensive kind of suite of products. Some of it is completely free um, that you can download the app um, for your for your smartphone or your tablet, um, your Android or Apple device, um, uh, called Adobe Express, and it will let you do a lot of that stuff completely free. And there's a web version that you can use on your your desktop or your laptop computer called Adobe Express that is also completely free, and they don't even ask for a credit card or anything for you to be able to sign up for it. Um, the completely free version is kind of limited. There is a ten dollar a month version that includes a lot more design templates and more fonts and more features just in general. Um, and that's still a pretty nice bargain for be able to, to be able to do a lot of different designery things. But the cool thing that Adobe announced this week is for nonprofits, that $10 a month version is completely free. Wow. So if you just go to the search engine of your choice and type Adobe Express for nonprofit, um, you'll get a link to a page 
that allows you to um, to to sign up, and you have to have a five hundred one c three you know registered nonprofit. But um, if you are a an approved a legitimate nonprofit, you get free access to this normally ten dollar a month set of tools. That is a really nice suite for doing the kinds of posters and printed pieces and business cards and letterheads and simple videos that you might post on social media, um, resizing a photo and enhancing a photo, a lot of nice creative tools that um, are completely free for, uh, for um, nonprofits. And I think that was a really, uh, really nice um, uh, you know, move on Adobe's part and wanted to make sure that our listeners knew about it because we know, uh, you know, we have a lot of nonprofit organizations, a lot of act- activist organizations in this part of the world. Um, this very radio station is a nonprofit um, organization and um, to have uh, access to tools like that that are completely free is a, is a pretty nice, free is a good price. Yeah, you can't beat that. And you know, it, it, when you were talking about that, it reminded me that um, I think a lot of that uh, pricing structure and and pricing configuration has changed since so many software companies have gone to uh, subscription models rather than shrink wrap boxes. And Adobe used to have almost every one of their products available in an educational version. Right. You remember those? Sure, completely. And I don't know if they still do that with the uh, with the subscription model, but this reminds. Well, I guess since people can't afford to go to college anymore, they're working for nonprofits. It's <laughs> <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they they actually do have like a nonprofit and educational discounts for other products that they have too, like the whole big Creative Cloud suite of all of the Adobe products of Dreamweaver and Premiere and Photoshop and Lightroom and uh, After Effects and all that. Because normally for an individual, it's like 55 or 60 bucks a month. Um, for a nonprofit, um, you can get that for $19 a month. Uh-huh. Um, so they have a whole kind of set of nonprofit things that originally were not that easy to find. Um, and then I ended up by just doing that web search for Adobe Express free for nonprofits or non- Adobe Express nonprofits. Um, I ended up at a website that listed uh, uh, the you know the prices and the the ways to apply and and all that good stuff. So if you are a nonprofit, if you're affiliated with an, a nonprofit, um, our dear listeners, um, and you need to create. Um, Creative pieces of all kinds, like I said, anything from printed pieces to web videos to little banners for websites, um, then uh, then uh, you should definitely check that stuff out. Indeed. Well, that's good and news. Again, if you want to, if you're into Photoshop or graphic design and video editing and all that, and you want to hear what is the latest from Adobe, um, you can either go to the Adobe Max website or check out their uh, their channel on YouTube. Just go to YouTube.com and do a search for Adobe. Are they posting videos from the Adobe Max on YouTube as the yeah. uh, as the events are occurring? Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, the bigger ones, like the keynotes and some and some of the bigger sessions. Uh, that's just amazing to me that they. Um, are opening up the 
the virtual doors, you know, to people that want to watch it online and not charging for it, because those conferences can be really, really pricey. You know, they're really expensive. And when I was watching the keynote this morning, unlike the Apple keynotes, Adobe was actually displaying in the lower corner how many people were connected, and there were fifty-five thousand people watching, oh, wow. and sixteen thousand people in the auditorium at the LA Convention Center yeah. watching in, in real in real space. Speak, speaking of Apple events, we have a couple of quick Apple updates to mention, but we're not going to get into those in too much detail. We also have a phone call coming in, and I think we probably should bring up uh, callers oh, as that. they call because we've uh, yeah we've been trying to keep uh, this a continuing call-in show when people call in because a lot of times people do have computer questions and they wait for us to get on the air to help solve them. So. <laughs> Apparently not that caller. Sorry. Uh, Hit that redial button. Call yeah. I'll get you on the air. And the number is 707-895-2448 if you want to call in. Oh, and I did want to mention that um, when we were talking about the – we can mention this when we uh, bring up Pledge Drive again. But if you uh, don't want to go to the website and want to call into the station, you can call the regular business number at uh, the Philo Studio if you want to pledge or if you would like to uh, get a pledge premium, because there's also a whole list of pledge uh, premiums that are available oh, yes. for this pledge drive. So that would be another thing. Um, I think we have the caller calling back. Let's see. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, uh, I love the Wednesday night shows. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, yes, uh, uh, back to longitude, that's, uh, I love that topic a whole lot. It's, it's so amazing because the way the Earth spins... It, it was very difficult to to navigate the globe without knowing what time it was. And there was a gentleman back in the 1600s that was awarded the uh, uh, the longitude award from England that discovered how to build a clock that would work out on a ship that was rolling and bobbing around in the ocean. And uh, be, because of that, be, the way the the Earth spins is very much like a clock. It's yeah. uh, it, you know, it, of course, it spends every 12, 12 hours, but our clock, I mean, every 24 hours, but our clocks are 12. But, but knowing what time it was allowed us to know what longitude we were at. And there's a great book called Longitude, and it yes. talks about the inventor Harrison that actually won the award, and his, I think his son uh, was involved too. But uh, anyway, great, great, great topic. And it's that's a great a, story, it's a, and I'm so glad you brought up that book. Yeah, it's called The Longitude, and it was kind of like the, it was like the space race of the age, you know, and there, you know, different inventors were competing to design a clock that would work on a, on a moving ship, and, the, you know, and this is before, this is before batteries and quartz crystals and, you know, and all that stuff. Um, so, the, you know, the mechanics had to work on a, on a ship, and... Yeah, absolutely. It was a bunch of brass gears and some springs yeah. on a gimbal frame, and it was just amazing technology. The guy was a carpenter that built it. John Harrison, yeah. and he was born, born in 1693. And there was a whole competition. There was a there was a prize being offered by the by the kingdom, and you know, and one guy claimed that he had invented it first, and he got the prize. And Harrison went to court, and it took him years. Oh. He died, I think, before he was finally rewarded the prize. Kind of one of those, you know. Some things never change. No, <laughs> and always, you would be amazed. There's always going to be weird injustice and court corruption. <laughs> right, and before the internet, you uh, 
that stuff went on all the time. There was all these scientists. The guy that actually found oxygen and identified it got beat out by somebody who came along 25 years later because he lived in a little a little podunk where he couldn't publish his results. There you go. And history has named, you know, the, the, not the person that found it first, but the one that had the most access. So it's it, that stuff goes on all the time. Yeah, there was, a great topic. And when you think of latitude, which are the parallels that divide up uh, our Earth, uh, you know, the imaginary lines, that was pretty easy to track, but it was that longitude because the darn old Earth was always spinning and right. the stars were up above us at one point and now they're down to uh, a different angle. So once we figured out, uh, you know, where we were on the spinning Earth, then that became... Uh, almost related was uh, when we developed the trains from east to west coast and there were single tracks and uh, time was really a big problem until they got the telegraph. Right, right, that yeah. was the telegraph, these two copper letters that went from yeah. one coast to the other and tributaries out, allowed the trains to safely uh, pass through these single track lines and pull off on spurs so as not to cause a head-on collision. But this was the first of our electric digital age right. on the planet exactly. where these copper wires sending uh, you know, two different types of messages, both a long and a short message, and that became uh, a standard for quite a while until the telephone was invented. No, and yeah. if, if you... It changed the world. If you really study this stuff from the time of the implementation of the visual telegraph, the semaphore, through the electrical telegraph, you know, the, the uh, Morse code and all that, it's really been an unbroken uh, development of, of communication methods and standards, you know, leading up to what we have today. So much of the Internet depends on that earlier technology that was developed. You know? Yeah, it kind of makes and it I wonder to, uh, look back on our history and then the fast forward to where we are today. Well, exactly. I was just about to say that. I often wonder what people like Samuel F.B. Morse or Harrison would say if they could watch right now what's going on with Bob and I 60 miles apart looking at each other on a screen, talking to each other on a radio station that's going literally around the world thanks to the Internet with a caller calling in, commenting on it, probably using a handheld on a, on, Or maybe on an old landline telephone. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, Kind of, kind of, kind of mind blowing to think it about. It is. Would, I'd love to. I'd love to get their opinion on it. Hey, thanks. <laughs> thank you for that call. That's a great thank comment. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Yeah, longitude. Get that book. It's a fascinating read. Yeah. Now, latitude um, is done by celestial navigation, and that's been around. Yes, that's easier. "Quote unquote easier." Easier. Yeah. If you have yeah, your I mean, ast astrolabe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the, the east to west part was the, uh, or west to east part was the hard part. Yeah. So. Basically, you had to have a really, really accurate clock that you would set as you were leaving the Greenwich Meridian. <laughs> And, to, and the reason that the observatory was up on the hill yes. and had the big ball at the top yeah. is that the shopkeepers and the people, the, 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 um, the mariners in the Thames River would look up and when the time ball fell down, they knew that that would be a certain, the turn, a certain time of day. It would be noontime. Yeah. And they would set their clocks accordingly. And that's why 
in Times Square every year. A ball drops. Oh, is that why? The- it is a, it's an homage to the time ball dropping at the Greenwich Observatory. No kidding. I didn't know. Yeah. So it's a tribute ball. A tri- <laughs> I didn't know that. I wouldn't try to set your watch to it. No, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I didn't know that. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's, that part of is really, really interesting. That's I find that fascinating. You know, it's the, it's the history of technology. I mean, we're so immersed in fact, overwhelmed with technology now um, these days that it's it's easy to forget that yeah. it wasn't that many decades ago um, that things were a lot more primitive. And um, yeah, you were talking about artificial intelligence when you were talking about the uh, the new products from Adobe, how they're working that in. And it just reminded me of a little quick story I read somewhere uh, about uh, scientists that were setting up translation software and basically setting up artificial intelligence so that computers that spoke different languages could sort things out and what they found out was the computers were coming up with their own languages that they could not translate or understand only the two or, or, or only the individual computers involved in this process knew what they were talking about it was like they had a secret code they set up and that was really spooky <laughs> yeah i think and i think they had to shut it down or i think not had, had to but i think they voluntarily i hope so <laughs> that was probably a, <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 the, there's a there's a bad sci-fi movie in there somewhere there is yes yes <laughs> but i thought that was really remarkable i'd love to know more of the details about what they found and what the computers really thought they were up to you know yeah. it's like yeah. teenagers artificial intelligence is it's still very artificial <laughs> it's um but yeah it is getting so much better so quickly because computers because the ais are improving themselves they have new methods of improving ais where they will compete they will pit two AIs against each other to come up with an answer or to come up with a photo or to identify something in a photo. And so they are constantly, each one is iterating and battling the other one to figure out the best solution. And it's kind of, again, it's sci-fi. It is. The Battle of the Bites, Sunday! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. At a uh, mainframe near you, who knows? Well, you're tuned to KZYXNZ, uh, Philo, Willits, and Ukiah, and this is Point and Click Radio with yours truly, Bob Lawton and Jim Hyde. We are taking phone calls and talking about a bunch of different, uh, well, let's jump into the iPads because Apple, uh, I don't know what was going on. They they could have had uh, people that follow this stuff really closely, professional Mac heads and and Mac bloggers and journalists said they could have had an event, you know, with the stuff that they were introducing. But apparently they have three updated products that are significant. A new iPad Pro, which comes in two sizes. A new 10th generation plain old iPad, like the one that Steve Jobs held up 11 or or whatever years ago. Right. at, at the uh, Macworld Expo introducing the iPad and a new version of the Apple TV streaming device, right. which also comes in two flavors. And I, I just happened to watch a video about the new iPad uh, Pro. What they've done is they've upgraded the processor from the M1, which was the original Apple Silicon, to the M2, which is the much more 
powerful version which they've started adding to their their top of the line devices and this makes the iPad Pro a really powerful computer just you know there's there's no way around it and also media machine it yeah. works with the second generation Apple pencil and the feature they added that just blew me away is they have a feature that relates to the pencil where if you hover it close to the screen but not touch it it'll actually it it actually reads as being in proximity and will um, figure out the angle that you're holding it at and the demonstration they gave is uh, if anybody's drawn with an iPad and a pencil you spend half your time going oh that lines too wide oh that lines too narrow oh that colors too dark you know with the hover it let the graphics program preview all this so you didn't have to commit to it that's crazy but you could take your other hand and make adjustments and it would show them in real time so you could like make the line thicker or thinner or make the color darker or lighter or something like that and um that was amazing to me that they're able to work all those features into it and they're opening that capability up to app developers that develop for that uh for that iOS or iPadOS platform, which I thought was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, the iPad Pro is um, well. There's well, there there two different sizes, Bob, or just one? Two. Is that the no, there's a um, a ten point nine inch, I think, and a twelve point nine inch, or maybe it's actually up to eleven now. Yeah, um, I think it's an eleven inch and a virtually thirteen inch, twelve point nine is what they call mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So it's in two sizes, and there I think there's some small technical differences, possibly in the screens and things, but basically they're they're functionally equivalent machines. Yeah, and they're and they're the you know they're the they're the pricier. Uh, yeah, there's an 11 inch and a 12.9. You're right, um, and you know they're the pricier of the members of the iPad family. They're you know anywhere from 800 to 1200 dollars depending on the size of the screen that you get and other features. You can get one with you know um, uh, 5G cell connections as well, or just a Wi-Fi connection. Different amounts of memories and all that stuff that you can explore at the website at the Apple website, and they have much nicer cameras. They have really yes. pretty much, you know, cameras, like you said earlier, before we went on the air, you know, really kind of equivalent to some of the better uh, cameras that are in the iPhone um, uh, models. And then the less expensive iPads are um, started about 450 bucks, I think. Um, those also have a faster processor, not the M2, but a faster chip, um, a new screen design. Um, and a new uh, a new camera as well, not the same uh, ultra amazing cameras the iPad Pro, but um, but still a really nice uh, camera. And you know, and it doesn't have all of the exotic Apple Pencil features, but they're still you know very capable tablets. And and in a lot of ways, they're both, especially the iPad Pro, but even the uh, the, the 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 regular old iPad, um, they're getting closer and closer to just being kind of like. You could use this instead of a laptop. Um, oh yeah, they can connect to monitors, external monitors, and and, and all that stuff, and keyboards, and, um, and and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, and the 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 new standard iPad, just the plain old iPad, iPad now has the USB C connector. 
yeah. which it didn't have before. Oh, and one more thing about the iPad Pros, uh, just to future-proof them, I guess. Well, you mentioned that they now come with 5G. I guess that's new to this model. But they all have the newest, uh, what is the Wi-Fi 6 or something like that, a yeah, new right, Wi-Fi right. standard. So they're, they've got the absolute latest. Uh, and this is unusual for Apple. A lot of times Apple drags its feet on on bringing their networking and connections and um, other types of specifications up to what's available in the uh, in the uh, PC world, you know, with Intel processors and stuff. A lot of times, if you see some flashy new feature on some uh, Intel-based, Windows-based computer, it won't make it over to Apple uh, as a standard until a little while later. So it's really good that they're, they're bringing up these new... Uh, networking standards and and you need it because if you're out if you're out shooting video in the middle of nowhere and you have a 5g connection you know you're going to need that uh speed to upload your your larger size videos your, your 4k video that yeah. your, your tablet can shoot yeah now speaking of USB-C, you mentioned um there was an interesting um new uh mandate from the uh, european union uh that um required all new portable devices like smartphones, wireless keyboards, tablets, to use a common charger design by 2024. Um, and in 20, by 2026, the same rules will apply to new laptops. Um, now, this is a Europe only, uh, this is a, a law that will be enforced throughout Europe, but um, when that sort of thing happens, then that usually influences companies to adopt it worldwide because obviously it doesn't make sense for them, uh, for manufacturers to create different types of charger connectors in different, uh, for different countries. Um, Apple originally was opposed to the mandate um, because they said it would, uh, you know, uh, or a stifle introduction of new techno uh, charging technologies. So it would probably have to mean goodbye to MagSafe. But um, the uh, no matter where you live, the long and the short is that you will probably in coming years have a charge port that has USB-C. Um, and that's the kind that the uh, many uh, PC devices have these days. Um, Apple's Tablets tend to have that kind of connector. Um, the Apple, the iPhones do not. They still use the uh, Lightning connector that Apple introduced about ten years or so ago. Um, so this is going to mean a uh, you know a, a a move for Apple to have to you know change its connector scheme for the iPhones and. Um, the, the, the purpose of the law is to reduce e-waste um, because basically, you know, um, so many of us, when you get a device like this, you have a, you, it comes with a charger that ends up, you know, being putting a, put in a drawer because you have one already. Or if you have a couple of different kinds of devices, then you've got to carry multiple chargers with you when you, a, se a separate one for your iPhone and a separate one for your iPad for example, maybe a different one, a third one for your laptop. Um, when all of this goes into effect by 2020, by next year to start with mobile devices and then 2026 for laptops, um, I guess the theory is you'll just need one type of charger to be able to uh, charge your uh, your, your various uh, devices. Now, they didn't say that you couldn't have other 
reports on there, but they're saying that at the minimum, you have to have a USB-C. Right. So like right. with uh, with MacBook Pros, um, they could still have the MagSafe charger because you can also use the USB-C port to charge it. They both work for charging. True. So, so you wouldn't have to take away that MagSafe. And, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think the same would be true with the um, with the iPhone uh, that has a um, a wireless charging capability. You know, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The induction charging, just being able to set it on a charger and have it charge that. Right. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't go away either. Right. But it's what's interesting is this is more than just smartphones and and digital technology. It's anything that you plug into charge i guess you know remote controllers and oh, yeah. and cameras uh, digital cameras yes sure. cameras all that stuff uh, and the this is the uh european union i don't know if that, that i don't know if that encompasses all of europe it certainly doesn't encompass uh, great britain since brexit so who knows <laughs> Maybe yeah, it, 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 it affects all EU member countries. Yeah. Um, and and again, because it doesn't make it much sense for a company like Apple to build, you know, certain jacks for one part of the world and certain jacks for another part of the world. Um, it makes more sense for companies to standardize on a certain type of connector. Um, then uh, it's it's likely to be something that is a uh, a worldwide change. And it's a welcome change. It'll be more convenient for those of us who, you know, have multiple devices and don't feel like schlapping multiple types of chargers with us. And it'll theoretically cut down on uh, on e-waste. Well, that's the part that I hope uh, is true. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know, uh, for example, Apple, I don't think, uh, I don't think they, oh, let's see. They, they still include a charging cable with the iPhone, but they don't include the charging, the little brick. They don't put that yeah. in anymore. Yeah. They're just assuming that you have a drawer full of them. <laughs> exactly. And if you really don't have one, you can just buy one, you know, to, but, um, I mean, think of how many people buy their new, uh, chargeable portable device, leave their old charger in the wall socket and just throw the new one into the junk drawer you know and there's probably junk yeah. drawers with uh, piles of chargers and the, it, it will cut down on the e-waste and the uh the well, that is exactly consumables. you know i'm looking back at a, a, an article from last june that was in the new york times and the headline was europe wants to clear out your drawer full of chargers oh, yeah. <laughs> so so there it is there it is yeah <laughs> Um, let's see. I want to. I think we should mention about the pledge drive this week. This is the uh, time when KZYX and Z appeal to our listeners and our members to re-up your membership or to become a member. And we're not doing uh, pledge special pledge edition shows on the evening shows uh, this time, but the from uh, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. on the regular broadcast. Uh, times uh there are live pledge shows and you can call into the main philo number eight nine five two three two four if you want to make a pledge during the pledge drive i don't think they have a special pledge number this time ah. a phone number uh or you can go to kzyx.org uh, and look for the link that says donate and uh you can join uh there are going to be pledge premiums associated with the pledge drive and you can call the ukiah office um if you want to find out uh you know what uh 
Yes. Yeah, What's there are a special? variety of, uh, of um, thank you gifts. Yeah. And um, we're just going to remind people that it's a good idea to support community radio. And, uh, oh, darn, I'm sorry we're not in Philo having another one of those great. Uh, There's often a lot of great food. That was it. There was a lot of great food and good things to drink and a lot of camaraderie of the people that would come and uh, work the pledge phones and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was kind of nice. We got another phone and call. Actually, if, oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish what you're going to say. No, I'll, I'll talk about it later. Okay. Don't keep the caller waiting. <laughs> nope. Don't keep the caller waiting. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yeah. I was wondering if you had, had any comments about mapping your software. I have access to a 500-acre piece of property. I'd like to map the roads and fences and pipelines and things like that. Oh. I was wondering if you might have any suggestions. Uh, interesting. Um well, you can go to Google Maps and look at the satellite view, and you might be able to pick up some of the um, features, uh, you know, like fence lines or um, or roads or trails. But that doesn't give a um, necessarily clear uh, definition. If you've got a road that's going through trees, you might not actually see right, a lot of it that, that situation. Yeah, I don't um, know. I, I was I was thinking of something with a with a GPS receiver, like a lap a laptop with a GPS receiver that I could walk around where all these features are and locate them somehow. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a real niche use of that technology. Do you know anything about that, Jim? I don't. You know, and I was just I'm just being uh, doing some website uh, searches for you know mapping software, and um, there are. There are a variety of different off offerings. Some of them are free. There's a company that uh, called Esri, E-S-R-I.com, E-S-R-I.com, that has, um, looks like a lot of different types of, uh, of, of offerings, some of which are free. Um, that might be something to, to explore. Um, and then, I mean, I just did a Google search. I did a website search for mapping software. And there are, there's another program called Maptive, um, as in captive, except with an M, maptive.com. And um, they have um, a free offering that might be worth exploring. Um, and yeah, it's, I, it, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I don't have any experience with it. I play with Google Maps all the time, but um, uh -huh. uh, applications like this are not on my, not, they're not on my map. I ran across one called Expert GPS, and I was just wondering if there are any others that, that were better or not as good. Or well, I just found a website you might want to check out. It's called gislounge.com. And uh, GIS, I think, is Geographical Information System. System, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, this link says five GIS and mapping apps for iPhone, which so maybe... Oh, interesting. Because iPhone does have GPS built in. I'm not sure how accurate it is or um, how it would work out for something like that, but there might be some things that, get, that would get you started. I do know that if you, if you... Let me just finish this one thought... I, I know that if you have accurate coordinates and put it in Google Maps, it is good at finding that exact spot in its system. I think its system is pretty accurate as far as working with accurate GPS coordinates. 
So mm -hmm. that, that's something. Because the nice thing about Google Maps is you can go and print out a, um, uh, you know, if you have a printer, you can print out the uh, the satellite view and use that as kind of like a, a framework to put in details and things. Because I've done that with building sightings and stuff like that. Can, can, can you also just do the map on your on your phone or laptop using Google Maps? No. Oh, yeah, very much. No, no, you can't create a new map in. in oh, you can't create a new map. No, but no. you can display the maps or print out the Google's version of the area you're looking at and and add layers to that if you have a program that, that will use that as a base layer. Yeah, this expert GPS application looks kind of interesting. If you uh, you have to have a GPS receiver, you know, not a phone, but a uh, you know something from Garmin and companies like that. Um, so it might be, you know, if you don't have a GPS receiver, then obviously that might wouldn't be uh, of use to you. But those aren't too hard to come by, are they? No, no, no. But don't, don't most phones have a GPS receiver in them? Yes, they do, but these requ actually require dedicated handheld GPS receivers. Okay. Um, not okay. don't they don't uh, this expert the expert GPS. Um, package uh, requires an actual, you know, handheld, dedicated GPS receiver, not a not a phone. Most of those devices will store uh, multiple coordinates, so you know you can walk around and press the button. And waypoints and things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's cheap, it's cheap to get started if you have a um, a smartphone because this one called GPS and Map Toolbox is a dollar ninety nine on the App Store. And uh, apparently, it will go out and save all this stuff. It might work. It's 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 worth looking into. Yeah. Check, okay. check, Thanks. Check those yeah, links you, out. You know, Good if luck. You, if you if you go further down the rabbit hole, um, call us back and let us know kind of what worked with you because uh, what worked for you because this is uh, this is an area that I'm not that familiar with and I'd be really interested to know about it. Well, there could be a whole lot of other people out there that wouldn't, wouldn't mind mapping their property, but never yeah. never even thought about this. This is a great call and, line. Another one I've heard of is called a Venza. A V N Z A, I think. And I thought it was something I could find somebody that knows about these things and help me choose one. Yeah. Um, they keep coming up with um, all kinds of handy things for these types of applications because, you know, in, in the past people have used, uh, you know, uh, surveyors, transits, and le levels, and story poles, and all those. Tape measures. Yeah, tape measures, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. right. laughs> Hey, thanks for the call. Thanks for that call. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's an area that I would like to be more familiar with because um, it's a it's a it's a really interesting kind of marriage of mapping and GPS and yes and, and land. <laughs> it's just it's cool. But when he mentioned that, I I, I thought back to all the uh, you know traditional ways that you have to do this kind of stuff, and it it gets pretty intricate. Yeah. And wow, why not have this uh, capability? Um, in your smartphone or tablet, you know, because it's it's a natural for that. I know that um, if you want to do interior maps, like uh, map out a building, um, Bosch makes these um, laser tape measures. You know, they they're, they're yeah. laser measurements, and they have apps for uh, 
for smart devices that will coordinate over Bluetooth. And you can just walk around a building going bip, 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 and it all automatically draws it out in the, in the device. So that kind of stuff is available. Yeah, kind of crazy. And, and some of the, the high-end, I like the Apple Pro, the iPad Pro, and I think some of the iPhone Pro models, and there might be equivalents on the Android side too, that have LiDAR um, sensors in them that allow you to create, create uh, ultra-precise measurements and floor plans and, and things oh, like yeah. that. So that's, that's, that's a, those are all topics we'll have to explore on future editions of the show because we are rapidly approaching the 8 o'clock hour and wrapping up another edition of Point and Click Radio. Um, a reminder, um, if you like what this station does to support and connect Mendocino County, please consider becoming a member. Do that at kzyx.org. We're in our fall uh, pledge drive uh, fundraiser uh, period. And... Um, it's a great way to express your support for the station and for the local, national, and international programming that we bring you every day. It is. And um, you can pledge on the web at kzyx.org. Mention point and click if you listen to this show. Or call the main business line at the Philo Studio during business hours, 895-2324. Ask about their uh, special uh, thank you gift premiums that are available for people who, who sign up and join uh, while, uh, while we're in the midst of our, our fall pledge drive. Here we go. Until next time, Bob. All right, Jim. Take Always care. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.